Welcome to Housing Development. So I'm Jerry Howard. And I'm Paul Lopez for Jim Tobin. Paul, thank you for filling in for Jim, who is uh, missing in action today. I, I, I know it's a beautiful day outside. One can only surmise that he may be golfing somewhere. I have no idea, but thanks for uh, filling in on short notice. Uh, we're very happy to have you and uh, returning once again, one of our most popular guests is uh, uh what was he called uh, last week? The the Nostradamus of economics. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Pied Piper of <laughs> housing. Uh, Dr. Rob Dietz is back again. Rob, good to have you. It's good to be here, guys. Rob, uh, you you have been uh, studying this very closely. You and I had a conversation about it a few minutes ago. Uh, what's the story about inflation for the rest of the year? Yeah, I, I think, you know, we heard from the Federal Reserve when we uh, we took the senior officer team to meet with Chairman Powell and the governors earlier this year that their expectations about inflation is that it's going to be higher this year. And, and builders saw inflation coming before everyone else, right, uh, with the, the run up in, in lumber costs, with building material costs being 23 percent higher in aggregate year over year. Uh, we expect the producer price index this year to be up 6%, which is two to three times higher than in a normal uh, year. So the expectation is, yes, 2021 is, is going to see inflation pressures. It, it's going to continue to cause uh, challenges for builders. But I, I mostly agree with the Federal Reserve that it's going to be, in their words, transitory that we're going to see some of these pricing pressures ease as we head into 2022. And the ones that are going to ease are those that are related to some of the, the supply chain bottlenecks, not enough trucks and truck drivers, the, the uh, appliances like microwaves that are in container ships off the, the port of Los Angeles are, are waiting to be unloaded. As, as the reopening of the economy happens, as we get more workers uh, back in the system, some of those pressures should ease. But as I said, in our forecast, we think that some of the pressures will remain. It's only going to be a partial rollback. So we were exiting a period where inflation was about 1.8% per year. We think we're probably entering into a period where it's going to be 2.4%. That's not the 1970s and it's not the 1980s. So hopefully the Federal Reserve doesn't overreact to that and tighten up policy, which would cause interest rates to go much higher. But rather, we'll look at the individual sectors and try to provide reasonable fixes with them. And that's, that's of course, what uh, we're, we're doing and, and you all have been doing in terms of trying to work with the, the Commerce Department on the supply chain for the residential construction industry. Rob, let me ask you this. How do you feel that this is going to impact the mortgage markets, if at all? Well, so our expectation for interest rates is they're going to move higher. Now, it, there's an interesting divide right now in the analyst community. When you talk to economists, they all think, okay, the Fed is going to at some point have to tighten policy, right? But these inflation pressures mean that they're going to uh, taper the bond purchases that they're currently enacting. They, they've been remarkably helpful uh, for the mortgage market. For the, uh, basically, since the start of the crisis, the Federal Reserve has been buying $40 billion a month in Fannie and Freddie debt. And that's holding down the 30-year fixed rate mortgage, which has been hovering near 3% for quite a while. They're likely to announce a tapering of those purchases at the end of this year. And then there's a debate about when they start to raise uh, the Fed funds rate, uh, which would raise interest rates. And I know you and I have talked about this 
uh, particularly during the, the, the leadership council meeting. Uh, you know, the question is, is it going to be at the end of 2022 or is it going to be at the start of 2023? So sometime in that kind of one year process, they're going to begin raising rates. So the, the expectation is mortgage interest rates are going to move from where they are right now, which is around 3%, up closer to 4 And as we learned, and if you think back to 2018, when at that time, when interest rates got close to 5%, we had a housing soft patch that lasted six, seven months. Given that home prices, and in fact, we learned yesterday, new home prices are now higher 18% year over year. Prices are higher, so it'll take a lower mortgage interest rate to cause a similar type of housing soft patch. So what we got to watch for is mortgage rates going up. But if they get closer to, say, four and a quarter percent, that would be a point of concern in terms of demand. And of course, all of this assumes what we said earlier, the idea that some of these material costs stop growing the way that they have been over the last six to nine months. Hey, Rob, are are there any particular parts of the country that are vulnerable um, to the softening more than others? Yeah, so I, I think we need to look at those markets where housing affordability is particularly challenged. So there's the, the markets that have typically been challenged. Uh, Paul, you're familiar with, with California. 16 of the top 20 least affordable markets are unfortunately in California. So that's a good yeah. example, sort of the coastal markets where there's a lack of land, of course, but also because regulatory policy is really tight and impact fees are are particularly high. It's, it's hard to build in those markets. And so the price to income ratios in those markets are tight, which means when interest rates move higher, particularly first time and first generation buyers are going to be priced out on the market. In fact, that's that's happening right now. The other places sort of outside the traditionally least affordable markets would include the new unaffordable markets. And that's a growing set. A a good example, and this would surprise people if you go back in time and 20 years ago and say Boise, Idaho is an unaffordable market. Now, now why is Boise, Idaho unaffordable? Just a huge amount of demand coming into the market. Supply is growing. It's it's a growing market. It's a large market. Uh, But with those higher material costs that we've been grappling with uh, this year uh, and just the sheer amount of demand that's coming in, prices have, have, have gone up and they've gone up dramatically. So that kind of market, uh, a little uh, change in interest rates can have a big impact on, on materialized demand. Hey, Rob, look at, I, I don't want to sound like a, uh, to, to quote Spiro Agnew, a nattering nabob of negativism here, but you've got increased material costs, increased inflationary pressure. You're going to have a mortgage rate increase ultimately. No look for a downturn in regulation. Um, I'm feeling a little bit like George Clooney in the perfect storm here. Yeah, it's, 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 we've got a set of challenges. I think this is why it's so important that we you know, kind of keep the pressure up on the advocacy side, both at the, the federal level. We know we've got a lot of challenges with the regulatory agencies. And I, I think you're right. I think we, we point to 2018. We point to 2013, which was the taper tantrum, and say, look, you've, you've, the market is hot right now, but you've got these looming challenges, particularly on the policy side, where we can get some help. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I think for the next year and a half, we've got a pretty good runway for the housing market. But if you're looking out toward 2023, I think forecasters are now looking at, and in our forecast, we have single family starts flat. And I've seen a couple talk about declines in, in 2023, not big ones but enough to pull back the market because of all the factors that you just identified. 
What kind of advice would you be giving our members then and in, in how they can start getting ready for this storm? Yeah, I, I would think in terms of six-month increments, in terms of land buying, don't over-purchase land as we move closer to 2023. The competition for land in particular is, is particularly tight. You know, and, and, and I think builders, for the most part, have been doing this. Now, one of the reasons that we saw, for example, uh, this week in terms of the new home sales data coming down the 6% rate, the, the pace of new homes sales was the slowest in a year, is a function of the fact that builders are, are acting as a, a governor on how much uh, construction activity they take. That's, that's a, a disciplined market reaction to the idea of, I need to watch my supply chains. I need to make sure I've got the workers in front of me. We know we're going to grow, but we want to have sustainable, manageable growth. And you don't want to get into bidding competitions, particularly with land, with other kinds of investors. And I know right now there's a lot of discussion about big institutional firms coming in and buying housing, buying land, bidding up the price. Uh, and you don't you want to be in a, a game of musical chairs and and be without the chair when the when the music stops. Okay, and then I have another question for you. I mean, I've never, in terms of build to rent, I've never heard that phrase used so many times in my life in the past three weeks. What's going on there? Yeah, so it, it's it's a little exaggerated, at least if you look in, in the data. And I mean exaggerated in the sense that exactly right. I mean, it, you 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 track all of the media on the housing. It just seems like every journalist in the last month or so has discovered this space. And I, I think you need to think of it in two ways, right? There's the increasingly institutional purchases of existing single-family homes. There, there are roughly about 15 million single-family homes and townhouses uh, that are, are rental housing. In fact, a third of the rental housing stock is single-family. It's, it's two-thirds multifamily. And, and, and for decades, that housing was owned by mom-and-pop investors. Increasingly, it's, it's a good return space. Rents are going up. We know there was the suburban shift in demand. People want single-family housing, but not everyone can afford to buy one. So that, that space makes sense. But in terms of built for rent, that's another part that's new construction. We estimate that in total, between units that are built and held by the builder and units that are built and sold to an investor like a REIT for rental purposes, that that's maybe six, six and a half percent of single family starts. So it, it's not huge but it is growing. And I, th I think the reason it's getting media attention is whether it's institutional investors increasingly buying these homes, and in some cases, pricing out uh, prospective home buyers, but then also larger builders getting into the built for rent sector, the media's uh, taking notice. Uh, that's a warning though, because when the media starts to take notice, it means we're, we're in the later innings of a particular trend. And as I said before, you don't wanna be the last one in because you're likely to overpay. Right. Rob, what else are you looking at, uh, both uh, domestically and globally, as potential factors on the economy going forward? Yeah, I, I think we're going to have the best year for economic growth since at least 1984. But it's it's all it's going to increasingly be talking about a, a conversation going from material shortages to labor, uh, and, and we've been focused on labor for a long time. Uh, but right now, there are 9.3 million job openings in the economy. It's like the other sectors of the economy have now discovered the skilled labor shortage we've been grappling with. And within the construction industry, we're short right now uh, in the real-time data about 340,000 workers for the overall 
construction industry. And as the unemployment rate goes down, and it will, it's going to get below 5% near the end of this year, it's going to get increasingly more difficult to recruit workers into the space. We actually had a somewhat easier go of it over the last year because other sectors were losing jobs. So uh, policymakers are going to have to be focused on raising the labor force participation rate, which involves in part bringing the schools and getting them open and in person, uh, but raising that participation rate to bring workers off the sidelines. And they're going to have to take a look at the expanded unemployment insurance benefits, which I think the evidence right now is pretty clear. It is holding back filling some of those jobs. And that's affecting everything from truck drivers to uh, we've heard from sawmills uh, and, of course, uh, for home builders and, and remodelers. Great. Well, listen, Rob, we appreciate you taking the time to come in. Uh, as always, your comments are insightful, and I, I know that the listeners uh, really, really appreciate it. And I hope you listeners appreciate it enough that you will subscribe to the podcast. Uh, Jim Tobin and I, as well as uh, our Paul, Paul Lopez, our frequent uh, guest host, he's sort of like the Doc Severinsen of this podcast. Uh, we would appreciate it very much of having you become uh, committed and, and uh, dedicated listeners. So with that, I will sign off for now saying uh, goodbye from Housing Developments. This is Jerry Howard. And this is Paul Lopez with his trumpet. We'll see you next time. Take care.